0: Amen. You can go ahead and turn to uh, Matthew. Get the right gospel. Matthew chapter five. uh, Matthew chapter five, and we're going to be in verse four today. Uh, Again, we're slowing down a little bit as we've hit the Beatitudes, uh, which is just a section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, The Beatitudes are a series of statements. If if you're trying to remember from last week, they're a series of statements. that are addressing or telling us from Jesus who is blessed or who is approved in his kingdom. So in the kingdom of God, who is it or, or what does it take to be a part of this kingdom? Uh, and, and this is important for us to hear because Jesus is already preaching, repent for the kingdom of hand is near, right, as he's initiating his ministry. But Jesus' kingdom is not like any other kingdom, uh, and, and if we think that Jesus' kingdom is just like another kingdom that we can see and interact with, we would naturally think that it, being a part of it would just be like being a part of that other kingdom. And what Jesus is telling his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5 through 7, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is primarily geared toward Jesus' disciples, and it's going to inform how this kingdom is initiated and how it takes place. But the overarching concern with it is, is what does life in God's kingdom look like even as we live in God's kingdom in a fallen world? The world may not be as it's supposed to be, but what does it look like to now walk in this new relationship that Jesus is ushering in? And again, Jesus' kingdom functions upside down from every other kingdom. Uh, And so it's really important that Jesus steps aside from the crowds, brings his disciples with him, and engages them and begins to tell them, this is what it takes to be blessed in my kingdom. Because they're about to go out and participate in Jesus's ministry of initiating, ushering in his kingdom. So if they get it wrong, everybody's going to get it wrong. And so Jesus is setting the stage. Last week we looked at in in the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about how this isn't just a a physical poverty, but a poverty of spirit where it is impossible to come into the kingdom of God without recognizing that we have done nothing and can do nothing to inherit it. It requires something coming from outside of us, inviting us into his kingdom for us to be a part of it. And ultimately, Jesus does that through his death, burial, and resurrection. He comes and lives the perfect life that you and I can't live. In every way that you and I spiritually fall short, Jesus fulfills perfectly, fulfills it to the T of what needs to happen for you and for me to be part of God's kingdom. And apart from that, there is no place in the kingdom. Apart from faith in Jesus, there is no access to the kingdom. No one can come into the kingdom apart from coming through Jesus. So then we continue in this morning, Matthew 5, verse 4. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And following right on the heels of blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. So it raises three questions right off the bat that we're going to try to address this morning. If it, if it, the the those who mourn are blessed and they will be comforted, and again read similarly to the verse before, where it's for theirs or theirs alone is the kingdom, for they and they alone shall be comforted. It would be important for us to understand who is mourning, what are they mourning, and what does comfort look like. Right, those are the kind of the three big questions that rise out of this, because. Uh, as we'll look at in a moment, there's a lot of ways to view mourning. So, who is it that Jesus is talking about? And what is it that they are mourning? And how or by what means will they be comforted? I want to start with just the, the idea of what does it mean to mourn? Most of us have at least some working knowledge of what mourning is or grieving is. It's usually attached, in our minds, it's usually attached to the response, our response, to the loss of someone or something of value, right? Uh, our greatest, probably, understanding of mourning is in the loss of people that we love through death. Like, there's a grieving that comes, a mourning, a, a soul-level grieving that comes through the loss of people that we love. But there's also throughout the New Testament, it, there's, uh, it's not just the loss or the grief over those who have died. It is also what ought to be the right response to a, a situation that shouldn't be there. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is uh, correcting the church in Corinth and says, you're celebrating when you ought to be mourning because there's sin that is rampantly running in the midst of this local church that Paul is writing to. And so he says your, your gut level response, to what your response ought to be one of lamenting or grieving because something is happening that shouldn't be happening. It's not just that somebody has, has died in their midst. but he's saying that, that your, your response is wrong. The heart level response to the situation is off. In Revelation there's a couple of different places that talk about it, but one when there's the destruction of the great city, it talks about how those who buy and sell in it mourn over the fact that there's no more buying or selling to be done there. Or there's lamenting, there's wailing, there's there's grieving over the loss of something that was valuable to them. And here's where this gets kind of exciting or interesting or complicated. Because if 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 Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, and it does say, Blessed are those who mourn. The reality, again, this is why we have to understand who it is and what are they mourning, because every person on this planet will experience loss that will produce or ought to produce mourning. It ought to produce grief. Nobody in this room will go throughout, through their entire life without losing someone that they love. You will have opportunity to mourn or to grieve. But in the same way that Jesus had just said, the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. Everyone is impoverished in spirit, but not all inherit the kingdom. In the same way, we are all at some point, we will mourn, but there's a, there's the second part of that implies not all will be comforted. So, if mourning is a, is a universal human experience, or should be. The opportunity to mourn is a universal experience, but not all do. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, spiritually, there is something that ought to be mourned, that when it is mourned, it produces comfort, but not everyone mourns it and not everyone experiences comfort. You with me? So, if the poor in spirit is, is to, to recognize our spiritual poverty before the Lord and to inherit the kingdom, what is the parallel that flows out of this in verse 4? What spiritual reality, then, is Jesus seeking to address in communicating to his disciples? He's using a well-known topic, mourning. But there's a spiritual dynamic to it that he wants his disciples to understand that is absolutely essential for understanding the kingdom. And I want to lay out for you, I think there's, two, there's a twofold reality of, of the mourning that Jesus is talking about. The first one... The first morning that Jesus says is blessed that will produce comfort is the grieving over sin that pushes us to find our hope and help in Christ. So, so the first, first morning that it produces comfort is the grieving over our sin that pushes us to find our hope and our help in Christ. You know, that sounds pretty obvious. But what's difficult about this is it's not... Mourning, this grieving, is not just an intellectual understanding of what sin does to us functionally. It's not just the head knowledge of what sin does. So on paper, we could write it out and we could say intellectually, in my head, this is what I know. The sin of people separates them from a right relationship with the God who created them. On paper I can understand then that if I have sinned I am separated from God. Right? And I can say conceptually, functionally understand that. But it stops there. If that understanding of what sin is does not produce a right response in my heart and in my actions, it's not that that's not repentance, that's not faith, that's just I understand conceptually how the gospel works. So grieving then is the right response to that which separates me from the Lord. So so a right response, a right recognition of what my sin is actually doing that produces a real response. So true mourning, I want to be careful on this, true mourning is not manufactured. You think about in the in the New Testament, it talks about in one occasion Jesus is called uh, to somebody who has died, and it says, in the, and they, the, well, Jesus comes and said, Well, the, the mourners are already here. Like there was this thing in place where they would hire people to come and weep and wail and, and lament over your lost loved one. But it was a manufactured thing. Like, culturally, we ought to be weeping. So here, here's some weepers for hire. Come and weep with us to produce the emotion. Alright, so so true. Mourning is not it's not manufactured. Rather, it is an overflow of the heart in response to reality. So it's it's that visceral response to what is real, what is true, that is the right response, the grieving response. And I don't know where you were uh, when we, one of the defining moments of of this century so far for us as Americans has been 9-11, right? Do you remember the gut level response that you had when you turned on the news and that, that, that pervaded in the days to come? Was that something that you just manufactured on your own? I ought to be upset right now. This ought to be upsetting to me. This ought to be frustrating to me. This ought to be angering to me. This ought to be uh, despairing to me. Is that something that you had to tell yourself to do? Or the last time that you mourned the loss of a loved one, did you have to tell yourself, okay, now it's time to mourn? We ought to be sad now. Or was it just the natural response that you had to what was reality in front of you? So true mourning is not something that we just stir up inside of us and say, I need to, sin is really bad, I really, I just need to feel bad about this. Let's just feel bad. It's not a paint can that you stir up and you go, okay, now I'm mourning. Right? So, so true mourning is that which happens. Like it's, it's not programmed. It's not, it's not necessarily even, you can't say, well, that person's crying, so they're truly mourning. Or that person is silent, they're clearly in mourning. It makes it kind of exciting, doesn't it? I was like, well, what, is, what does mourning look like then? What does your personality look like? But partly, what, what is the, the response in your heart towards your sin that pushes you towards faith in Jesus? Rather than, shouldn't have done that. Oops, try better, won't do that. But there's no response, there's no push, there's no pull towards the Lord in the process. And because of that, what I want you to see this morning is that that, that heart response that sees sin's reality and produces something in us, That is a gift of God's grace to us. Our recognition of our sin before a holy God is a gift of God's grace. That that, that he has, in part, it's because the Holy Spirit has been given to convict us. In John chapter 16, when Jesus is talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what he will do. It says, and when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, or, or when the, for the first time when we were walking outside of a right relationship with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sin, that was a gift of His grace that was producing or, or prompting us to respond in faith to the Lord. But what is our natural response to shame, guilt, mourning? Shove it down. Hide from it. Get away from it. That feels not good. I don't want to deal with that. But notice what what Jesus is telling his disciples. Blessed are those who mourn, who, who embrace the reality of their sin and respond to it, pushing them for their hope and their help in Jesus. Because there is comfort on the other side of that. But the way that everything else works around us, we go, we need to, hide our sin, hide it from being found out, and then once it's found out, we want to minimize it so it's not as bad as it seems. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God actually works entirely the opposite. He wants you to see the magnitude of how horrible your sin is so that you can understand the depths of his mercy and grace towards you when you don't deserve it. Because in that, you will be comforted in a way you won't be comforted through any other mourning or any other grief or any other lament. And it's also, it's, again, it's a gift of the Spirit, it's also a gift of the Father. In John chapter 6, and verse 44, the Jews are grumbling about Jesus because he had just told them, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven, unless anybody eats in my flesh, they can't, they can't be a part of me. And, and the Jews are grumbling because they say, is this guy really saying that he is the bread that came down from heaven? We know who his dad is, we know where he comes from, and yet he claims that he has come from heaven. And Jesus answers and says, don't grumble among yourselves. Notice he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So that, that, that reality, when we come face to face with the ugliness of our sin that we don't want to deal with, and there's that response in us that says this needs to be dealt with, it's a gift of God inviting us to respond to him in faith. It's not something that you can just manufacture on your own and go, I just need to feel bad, about, bad enough about my sin so that it can be forgiven. It is, it's the reality of, of seeing ourselves rightly in response to who he is. And so you go, okay, if I'm sitting here this morning and feeling this huge mountain of like blah in my soul and I know that I'm out of step with what God wants me to do, like, okay, then what am I supposed to do? Well, what Jesus says is, blessed are those who mourn, so, so see it, look it in the eyes, but then take it to Jesus in faith. This is what Jesus has come, and this is what he's died for. He died for your sin, and yet our sinful tendency would be to say, I see my sin, but I just need to work harder to get rid of it. I need to, to just effort this thing a little bit more, and then it will be fine, or I just need to hide it better, and then shine up the parts of my life that do look good, and that will be okay. No, mourn over it, grieve over it, and and cast it at his feet because he has died for you. Respond to him. So repent of it, turn from it, and turn to faith in Jesus. That's what you ought to do. And because when you do that, what you can expect, the second part of this verse is, is that in doing so, in doing that incredibly uncomfortable, transparent, humbling work, there is comfort. Okay, well, what's the comfort look like if I'm going to wade into that kind of ugly business in my soul? Why would I possibly ever want to do that? So with what comfort will they be comforted in that sense? I just want to list off a few things for you. This is not exhaustive of who Jesus is or what he does. But the comfort that he offers is forgiveness of sin, salvation, restoration, and peace with God. So the very thing that is putting you at odds with him is forgiven, wiped away, and he brings you into a right relationship with himself. Justification. In other words, he declares you innocent as though you had never done those things that you are mourning and grieving over in the process. Like all of the stuff that he is screaming in your head, guilty, 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 he would never take you. One of the comforts that he gives is, I declare you innocent. Okay. just let that marinate a little bit. The very thing that with you in your head, you're saying this is the whole reason why he would never take me and why I can't deal with this thing in my heart is the very thing that he says he will remove from you as far as the east is from the west and you will never see it again and he will comfort you not just now, but for eternity. He also promises to give you help from his Holy Spirit. And in fact, the Holy Spirit is also called the helper or the comforter. He gives his presence to his people. To live in them, to walk in them, and to empower them in the way that God would have them to live. Comfort looks like inclusion in his kingdom. He brings you in to his people, into his family. Those who were far off are now brought near. Not only that, but in light of all this, maybe one of the ways that I could sum it up is that what he offers is that you would be fully seen and fully known and at the same time, fully loved. Because the thing that, that, that might terrify us about dealing with our sin is that if God fully sees me and fully knows me, he doesn't want anything to do with me. And the comfort that he promises is that you will be fully seen, you will be fully known, and you will be fully received into his presence. So this morning, if you have that elephant sitting on your chest of going, I know I have these things that I need to deal with, but I can't, I can't, I can't. You cannot, but Jesus can. Jesus can do for your sin what you cannot do for yourself. You, can't, you cannot clean yourself up good enough to worry, then you can say, now, now, now I'm okay. Now I'm acceptable. Now I'm clean enough. Now I'm good enough. Now, he says, come with all of the stuff, mourn it, grieve it, and watch it be transformed by the God who died for you and then was raised to new life for you. So the first grieving, the grieving over sin that pushes us to find our hope and help in Jesus, we grieve that way that pushes us to faith in Christ. We will receive comfort, not just now, but eternal life in him. But then there's another element of this that I think the second grieving is a grieving over the things that are lost in pursuit of Jesus. Grieving the things that are lost in pursuit of Jesus. You think about Jesus' disciples, uh, he had just told them, basically drop everything and follow me. And they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. James and John dropped their nets while they are in the boat with their dad, left their, left their business, left their dad, followed Jesus. I wish that on a flesh level, I wish this spiritual reality wasn't the case. But following Jesus will lead you to the loss of other things. Saying yes to Jesus absolutely requires saying no to other things. There's loss in the process of following Jesus. There's a laying down of things that otherwise we wouldn't lay down because we're following Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, there's a, I guess if we say Sunday school type lesson of uh, maybe a Bible story that you might be familiar with. But in Luke chapter 18, there's a rich young guy that comes and asks Jesus what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus gives a really hard answer for him. Uh, He basically says that, you know the commandments... uh, like right, Don't break the Ten Commandments. And the guy goes, yeah, I've not, not done any of those. I've, I've kept them all. And so Jesus says, okay, then, then you're lacking one thing. Just go, keep in mind he's rich. He says, sell everything and come follow me. And it says that the young man went away looking sad. And Jesus said, you know, it's, it's impossible for a rich man to come into the kingdom. In other words, it's really difficult to lay aside in pursuit of Jesus. It's, it's really hard, impossible apart from God's help. To enter the kingdom. And even so, because his disciples' response then is when Jesus says it's it's uh, it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, or actually says it's how difficult it is, uh, they ask him, if it's this hard for a rich person, then who could possibly who, who, who could possibly make it? And Jesus said, With man it's impossible, but with God it is possible. And then Peter and the disciples respond in verse eight, uh, 28 of Luke chapter 18. And they said, see, we have left our homes and we followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You think about the disciples, what, what about us? We've left everything, so where does that leave us? And Jesus says, if you're pursuing me, you're pursuing the kingdom. If the kingdom is your priority, you will gain back all that you have lost. But in the moment, this side of heaven, there's a little bit of grieving sometimes over that which is lost, isn't there? Oh, what might have been had I just gone this way and said this way. But I couldn't go that way because I was following Jesus. There's a natural tendency to to mourn maybe those things that have been lost. There's also an aspect, not just things lost, but adding to the dynamic of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there's also uh, the grieving over the things lost in pursuit of Jesus, and you might put a slash and say, or grieving over the things caused because of following Jesus. Uh, not just things lost, not just opportunities forsaken, not just uh, uh, avenues closed that otherwise wouldn't have been a concern, but also the things that are... are Grievous to us in our pursuit of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, Paul, again, addressing the church at Corinth, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and notice this, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. There's a point... Uh, Right after this, where Paul says that, uh, highlighting some of his afflictions, he says that we were overwhelmingly burdened to the point that we despaired of our very lives. Right? That Paul doesn't shy away from the people that he writes to of the difficulties he has experienced for the sake of following Jesus. But he starts off with saying, all of that affliction makes sense only in relationship to Jesus. First of all, he, he says, first of all, that the, all comfort belongs to the Lord. But then notice in verse, uh, in verse 5, he says, As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. If I just stopped right there and, and said, Who wants to sign up this morning to share abundantly in the sufferings of Jesus? How many are just jump up and say, Yes, sign me up. But then notice what happens right after that. He says, for though as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, or so in Christ, or so because of Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Right? And there's this weird upside-down math in the kingdom. Right? That that which is suffered is met with comfort in the same quality. Right? Whereas in our mathematics, we would say, I avoid suffering, and I try to maximize comfort. And Paul says, share abundantly in suffering so that you might also, in Christ, share abundantly in comfort. And he goes on to say even more so that he says, if we're afflicted, it is the purpose of that is that you would be comforted and that you would find salvation. So the sharing in suffering, the cause for mourning, equals a sharing in comfort. Paul also talks about in his letters, though, he talks about that we have gone through and we've, ex- we've been allowed to experience difficulties of many kinds so that we might minister to others who are going through the exact same thing. So here's, a, here's a, an interesting thing. As we experience the depths of God's comfort through Christ, then we're able to walk alongside of others who are enduring similar things, dispensing the very same comfort that we have received. So you know, this morning you might say, well, I don't know why God has allowed me to experience this, 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 or this. And, and, and this may not make you feel good, but I think it is a scriptural reality. God has allowed you to experience those things with him so that when others are experiencing it, you might walk alongside of encourage and strengthen somebody else going through it. You might be going, in other words, you might be going through it not for you, but for people around you that God has determined that this is the best way for his grace to be shown from his people towards others who are suffering, those both in the Lord and those outside of the Lord. Because there will be some who go through similar things that you have experienced outside of a right relationship with the Lord, knowing that you have gone through it, and they'll say, how in the world did you do that? And your answer will not be, I guess I'm just a super spectacular individual. Your answer will be, it would have crushed me except... Jesus carried me through it. That doesn't make sense in our kingdom, but in Jesus' kingdom it makes perfect sense. In, in our kingdom, it doesn't make sense that the, the head of the kingdom comes and lays down his life for the kingdom in order to spread the kingdom. You know, that kills a kingdom. So grieve the things lost. Grieve the things that are going over. But again, what is it supposed to do? Pushing you to find your hope and your help in Jesus. If your grieving doesn't push you towards Jesus, you're grieving the wrong thing. Or you're seeing it the wrong way. You go, that sounds really, really reductive and really simple. And yet, it's the upside down way of the kingdom. Where blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted.